Welcome, everyone, to this Sunday edition of BAMS Radio. We are going to recap the Iron Bowl, the third straight win in the series for the University of Alabama. I thought it was one of their better, you know, offensive performances of the season. Some self-scout Nick Saban talked about after the football game. They did a lot of study on their tendencies. They did some new things. Bryce Young looked as healthy as we've seen him in a while. He is a magician. He was the difference maker. And Alabama continued to stay patient with the run. So thought Bill O'Brien did a nice job. I think it's going to be, you know, his second to last game. Uh, I think he's going to move on after the bowl game to greener pastures, whether it be as a college head coach, potentially at Georgia Tech, if you believe the rumors, or back to the NFL. But, again, uh, Alabama, seven offensive touchdowns. Did force two turnovers, 49-27. to 27, They win it. A balanced offense, 343 yards passing for Bryce Young, 20 of 30, three touchdowns. Also used his legs well. Alabama with nearly 180 yards rushing, average five yards per carry on 34 attempts. Alabama winning the Iron Bowl, always sweet. And we're going to rehash it with our, our, our usual uh, cohorts here. In the port city of Mobile, keeping us on the air here and doing a great job producing. It's going to give some interesting takes on the Crimson Tide analytically as well as Thomas the Wizard Watts. And then from 89 to 93, a 1992 national champion, former player William Redfish Barger is going to give us some of his thoughts. And William, I'll go to you. Uh, I thought it was a, a, a well-played game offensively, certainly defensively left a lot to be desired, giving up 318 rushing yards to just a, a team that you knew was one-dimensional. So not the greatest tackling game and not the greatest game off uh, defensively that we're going to see. Wasn't a Picasso for Alabama, but uh, was impressed with the offensive game plan and the performance overall. And uh, if, if, if that was the final game for Bryce Young in an Alabama uniform, he certainly played well. Well, I mean, I, I would be, you know, I, I think it's a foregone conclusion that that was his, you know, final game in Bryant-Denny Stadium. We'll have to wait and see, um, you know, if he chooses to play in the bowl game. But, um, you know, I, I really, you know, was touched by um, how emotional he got, you know, waving to the fans. You know, he, he even, you know, said it in the post-game interview, you know, for, you know, somebody to come from all the way across the country and, you know, being made to feel at home and embraced by this fan base. You could tell how, you know, just a very humble, um, you know, down-to-earth young man. Um, had been nothing but a great ambassador, um, you know, for the university, both on and off the field since he's been there. Um, you know, I, I, from a selfish standpoint, um, you know, you, you take the, um, you know, the red shirt season out in, in 2020 and, you know, we've only really gotten two seasons out of the young man, and it's, you know, kind of selfish for a fan to say. But, um, you know, you have to remove the fandom and, and, you know, acknowledge what's best for the young man, and that's to, you know, go get that money while it's on the table, especially um, with what he's been able to generate and garner the last two years from an NIL standpoint. You know, I would think – you know, as long as he's drafted in the top 10, maybe top 15 picks, you know, he should be able to get something, I would think, close in endorsement deals to what Tua Tungavailoa, um, you know, got when he came out. And, uh, you know, live off of that, sock all your football money away, and you don't ever have to worry about going out like the rest of us and getting a job in the real world when football is over with. So, 
Um, n- nothing but positive things for me about Bryce Young. I've, I've really enjoyed watching him play. Um, you know, one thing that, that I saw yesterday that, you know, and you don't ever know if this is, you know, the coaches, and, and I think it, it probably is. Um, but, you know, it, it, towards the, the latter half of this regular season, you know, you've seen Bryce be more willing to take off when it's, you know, the barn door was open and he could pick up 10, 15 yards and, and move the chains. Um, you know, whether it's Bill O'Brien um, or Alex Mortensen or, or whoever um, that, that coaches the quarterbacks down there, I wish somebody would have taught him how to slide like he's going into home plate. Um, you know, because as good of an athlete as he is, you can tell it's very awkward and he's never been taught, you know, how to slide properly when he's uh, running the football. But, you know, it, it's it's kind of a, a, you know, a bittersweet pill for me because, you know, um, I, I don't think he's been surrounded with the same type of talent as a lot of, you know, the other Alabama great quarterbacks under the Nick Saban era and, you know, he's had to generate a lot of this stuff on his own, you know, through, you know, improvisation and, you know, just his own, you know, ridiculous athletic ability. But, um, and, and going back to what you said about the game plan, I did think it was a good game plan. Um, you know, they, they were a little bit more balanced, you know, like you said, um, you know, the, the passing game was clicking. Um, they were patient with the run, um, you know, got Jace and, uh, um, Jameer Gibbs involved. I was glad to see Jace. I was a little bit concerned when he went off that maybe he had re-aggravated that ACL from last year, but you know he came back in and, and ran hard. So, um, you know, for, as far as the offensive, you know, performance yesterday goes, I think anybody should look at it and feel really good about it. Um, now, the other side of the ball, uh, <laughs> you know, especially especially for the first half. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a runover skunk smell to that. Well, and I want to ask you about it because you're in a group text with your former teammates. A lot of them were on that defense that I still consider the best in Alabama history. No disrespect to anything Nick Saban's done, but it was my favorite one. Uh, you know, now your your former teammate, Antonio Langham, who I love, is one of my favorite people in the world, has been more on the players and, and, and defended Pete Golding. But what what – seemed in your mind to be their opinion and the uh, prevailing opinion last night about what the hell was going on in the first half, especially defensively? Well, I mean, I'll say this without naming names. I mean, there's a couple of them that have players that are, you know, on Alabama's team, um, you know, that are walk-ons and there's three or four of them that have players that play for Dabo up in Clemson. So, yeah, um, you know, you kind of have to be careful how you respond and what you say. Um, especially with the ones that have, you know, kids that are playing for Dabo at Clemson. But, um, you know, it's just, you know, you know, simple, you know, football 101. If, you know, if, if you're going up against a, an offense, it's got a quarterback that struggles throwing the football. Um, and, and, you know, the head coach, you know, in, in the pregame, you know, tells Jenny Dell, you know, hey, we're fixing to run the football. Um, you know, if you hadn't planned for it, uh, you know, before Saturday at, at 2.30, uh, it wasn't like he was real secretive about what he was uh, fixing to try and do. And, you know, Robbie Ashford, um, you know, showed yesterday, um, you know, he's just not a very good passing quarterback, you know, at the current time. And, and you know, with all the turmoil and transition down there at Auburn, this isn't a, you know, you know, me, you know, casting stones at him. I, I don't know 
um, you know, how much of an opportunity he's had, you know, with, you know, Brian Harson being there until, um, you know, three or four weeks ago and, you know, transitioning over and, um, you know, how much coaching he's had to, you know, improve as a passer. But, you know, I mean, Auburn's got a, you know, an average offensive line. They don't have a lot of playmakers at wide receiver. You know, they tend to incorporate, you know, three tight ends and a lot of offensive formations. And, you know, the strength of their team is, you know, Robbie Ashford is a runner and Jacquez Hunter and, and Tank Bigsby. I mean, it's no secret. Um, if they're going to be successful, it's going to be handing the ball off to those two running backs. And, you know, Ashford improvising, um, you know, you know, either on zone reads and taking off or, you know, when the pocket breaks down when he is attempting to, you know, throw a pass. But, you know, it, it was kind of unanimous, Drew, that, you know, if you know that going into the game and, you know, you're kind of caught flat-footed, you know, why isn't there some adjustments? Um, you know, a lot of times when you looked out, out there in, in, you know, obvious run situations, you know, Alabama only had six guys in the box and, you know, five defensive backs. And, and you know, if, if you don't think somebody's a threat to pass, um, you know, it needs to be more like, you know, eight in the box and, you know, two corners and one safety deep in case they, they do get lucky and, you know, get somebody open and free on a pass. But it, it was just kind of frustrating. I mean, I think it's kind of, um, you know, been that way all year long. You know, when you when you look at the, you know, the, the struggles against uh, Tennessee and Texas A&M and, uh, you know, certainly that LSU game. And, you know, like we were talking about before we started recording, you know, that, that didn't exactly, you know, cap my Thanksgiving weekend off real well, turning on the LSU and Texas A&M game last night and seeing what Jimbo Fisher did to um, LSU. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a mixed bag. I mean, you know, anytime Alabama can pick up a win in the Iron Bowl, you know, I'm going to be happy. Uh, provides me a little bit of uh, – you know, comfort for the next year. Um, but, you know, there, there's still some things that you come away from that game with after watching it that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, there does. And uh, I'm going to let Thomas chime in here in a second. But I'll just say this, and I was proud for him, and I sent it to his grandfather. But it's never a good sign to me when the uh, the, the the tackle highlight is Will Riker. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, Drew, because my – my first uh, two years in Tuscaloosa, um, you know, I played with a field goal kicker that was a linebacker in high school besides having the uh, uh, kicking duties, uh, you know, in Philip Doyle, and he was built yeah. more like a linebacker than he was a, um, a field goal kicker. But, you know, the coaches had to, uh, you know, almost have to put a shot collar on Philip to keep him from running down there and trying to make all the tackles on, on kickoff coverage. So, um, it was good to see, and, and uh, you know, I think I saw uh, at least during the broadcast or shortly thereafter where Wills announced that he's coming back for another year. Well, I haven't heard that. I mean, maybe I maybe I missed it now. He, what I had heard earlier in the week is he wasn't thinking about it. He was just, you know, right now he was just focusing on the end of the season. Now, we, I was discussing it with another well-known friend of ours in the media that Hopefully, I mean, he, he he only kicked in four or five games as a freshman and got hurt in 19. And we're all hoping that he'll come back and, hell, like like we were talking about, give him a good NIL deal and let him come back. And, I mean, he's about to get married uh, to his longtime girlfriend, but I'd love to bring him back. I know he's already the uh, all-time leading scorer in Alabama history, but 
they could redshirt the kicker from Chicago and bring Will back. I would love Will to come back. I think he's an outstanding kicker. I know he hasn't been perfect, but he's been dadgum good. And uh, I, I hope he does come back. I think it would be big for Alabama. Well, Drew, let me just well, hop in um, because you're in the press box. Said at least two times that I could think of, I believe near the beginning of the game and right around the end of the third quarter when yeah. um, Reichard made the tackle that we were talking about, that he would he has announced, even though I haven't seen the announcement, the broadcast mentioned it multiple times that Reichard want, okay. is planning to come back. Well, I hope so. I, I'd love well, it. Well, let me say this. Don't, don't feel bad, Drew. I'm glad Thomas said what he said. I don't know if it was on the broadcast, but, you know, I, I was driving back from Tennessee this morning uh, from Thanksgiving, and, you know, I, I was trying to, you know, weed through a multitude of text messages every time I had to stop and get gas or use the bathroom or got into a traffic jam. And I, I couldn't remember if I heard it on the broadcast yesterday on CBS or, you know, I had so much, you know, clutter to weed through, you know, trying to figure out how uh, Auburn had botched the Hugh Freeze hire. Maybe it got lost in translation, but it, I heard it somewhere. I'm glad Thomas was uh, – making me feel like I'm not losing my mind, which I may be anyway. Hey, go ahead. We'll talk about uh, that. We'll talk about that after the broadcast fish. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but, no. So, so Drew, I know you were coming to me, so I'll just take the ball and run with it. So frankly, I thought Bill O'Brien decided to audition for a job with that offensive performance. What we saw was kind of an understanding of what Alabama is, whether Bryce Young is not healthy or Bryce Young is what he is or the offensive line is what it is or the position group, the skill positions are what they are. This Alabama offense is not able to consistently light the world on fire with explosiveness. They're just not. But what they have become, particularly when Jace McClellan is in the game, is an offense that loves its efficiency. And what does that mean? Well, frequently, when Jameer Gibbs runs the ball, and, and, and I realize this is absolutely uh, it's a catch-22 for the Alabama coaching staff and really the Alabama offense as a whole, when Jameer Gibbs runs the ball, generally one of two things happens. He rips off an, expl- an almost explosive run, you know, 8, 10, 15, in the extreme case, 75, or that last touchdown last night, which was, I believe, a 22-yard run. So Jameer Gibbs, if you block it right, can house call any, any run. So you want to give him a chance. But if it's not well blocked, or the, the defense makes a play, or Bryce Young runs into a run blitz, you know, pick, or, pick your reason du jour. Jameer Gibbs is going to dance at the line of scrimmage, and suddenly you're at second and nine. Jace McClellan's not that. Jace McClellan is much more – he's not as big as Derrick Henry, but he's much more a Derrick Henry-style runner where he wants to make one cut and go. Like he wants he, – he won't – he's not as fast as Jameer Gibbs, but if I just have to run in the back of a pile and get four yards the hard way, I'm going to do it, and I'm big enough to do it. Though ideally you want him to try and bounce that a little bit, which really the bounce game is Jameer Gibbs. But Alabama was able to stay on schedule during that awesome second quarter, 
and Alabama was able to pull in some explosives. And that sort of balance is something that I started highlighting with the Ole Miss game. I realized that the Alabama offense was gone for large portions of it, quite frankly, and their general statistics were charitably called not great. But I thought it really started to come together then. I thought it stayed together with Austin P. even though Alabama could have played Darby up the middle for four quarters and beaten Austin P. And then this was kind of the culmination of it. I thought the offensive performance was great. Um, I think that suddenly Jermaine Burton, over the past couple of games, as the offense has kind of found itself, we've seen the emergence of Jermaine Burton. Jermaine Burton had a bunch of – he took a bunch of heck from Alabama fans for not being Jamison Williams, I guess. But Burton had a good game. Um I'll be honest. As we record this, I don't know if he's gonna if he's if he has another year of eligibility. I hope so. Because, he does. Thank you, he Drew. Does. Thank you, Drew. Um, I, I think he can be a stabilizing force. I think he can be a wide receiver one or a wide receiver one point five as the true freshman wide receivers have another year of seasoning. Even if it's Jalen Milrow as quarterback one, even though I have a hard time believing that, but. And, and you know, I thought that was a great thing for the offense. I think a lot of Alabama fans need to understand something that Gary Danielson said on the broadcast and something that I'd been hinting at on the pot on BAM's radio as well as if you've been speaking to me via text message is I don't think that fans understand, and I'm not even sure coaches really understand, how – big a deal Bryce Young's shoulder injury was, not just because he couldn't play against Texas A&M and was hustled back to play against Tennessee, da-da-da-da-da, uh, yada-yada-yada, etc. One of the things to get Bryce Young game ready is he didn't throw as many passes during the week. And when you've got young players and the wide receiver room hasn't been settled, you know, you thought we'd see a lot more Tyler Harrell, even though Tyler Harrell was on the field with Bryce Young on multiple occasions last night, but Harrell was hurt. Aaron Anderson has been passed, but still, those are reps that a, a Kendrick Law or an Isaiah Bond or a Kobe Prentice could have had. Well, and frankly, I think Kobe Prentice hit the freshman wall halfway through the year. How do you get through that? Well, you practice with your quarterback. You know, you run five yard down and outs until the cows come home. So you know how the ball comes off Bryce Young's shoulder and how it's going to look when he's passing it to you. All those little things that make an offense come together that Bryce Young wasn't able to do because of his injury. I thought the Auburn game was really a coalescing of kind of like a month late. You know, what do we always say or what do I always say? You don't want to deal with Alabama going into November because Alabama's had a chance to practice. They've worked out the kinks, et cetera. Well, it wasn't going into November. It's going into December. So I'm still right, but I'm three weeks late. So I thought that was great from the offense. And going to the defense, I know we, we, uh, we're going to run Pete Golding into the ground here, but in a lot of ways it's deserved. Because I don't understand what is seen in many cases by that defensive staff. You know Alabama's going to run. You mentioned the six men in the box. 
or you know Auburn's going to run. Excuse me. You mentioned six six men in the defensive box. Alabama consistently went light, and I sort of kind of understand it because you want to get Will Anderson and Dallas Turner on the field because they can make plays, but it's really hard to stomach some of the defensive choices. It's really hard to stomach that Alabama calls a timeout on fourth down and comes out with 12 men on the field. It's, it's, it's mistakes like that that are a major indictment of Pete Golding. And frankly, it's also an indictment of some of the position coaches. You know, we've talked about it, but I'll name names. Outside, I don't want Freddie Roach to coach Jaheim Otis because I think Jaheim Otis is going to be an absolute monster. And I don't think Freddie Roach has the ability to get the necessary ingredients out of Otis to make him an All-American at Alabama. I don't think Cameron Hutzler is able to get out of the offense, out of the outside linebackers, what he needs to get out of them to be effective in a Pete Golding defense. And suddenly you have a catch-22. Pete Golding runs light schemes. Like, Alabama goes really, really light on defense. What does that mean? It means a lot of speed on the field. That means should be good sideline to sideline. But it also means you need to have elite interior defensive line play. Well, if Freddie Roach is not able to put elite interior defensive line play on the field, either you get rid of Pete Golding or you get rid of Freddie Roach or you get rid of both of them. It's, you know, Hutzler's a little bit different because he did have Will Anderson and Dallas Turner's still awesome. But I'm not blown away by that, quite frankly, throughout this year. So the Alabama defense, at the end of the day, something's got to give. Whether it's a reimagining of the Nick Saban scheme and Pete Golding stays, or it's get rid of Pete Golding and hopefully a Jeremy Pruitt, which, by the way, with the deal with Hugh Freeze, the part that we have not been talking about as Alabama fans is, you don't leak Hugh Freeze's discussion without talking to Greg Sankey. And if Greg Sankey gave his thumbs up, that means Hugh Freeze is no longer in Sankey jail. Now, Jeremy Pruitt and Hugh Freeze are different situations, but there's a way out of Sankey jail. I'm not saying Jeremy Pruitt's going to come back to Alabama next year, but there's a way out of Sankey jail, and that's a big deal for some of the folks that Alabama may bring back. But just overall, you look at this defensive performance, and something's got to give. Throughout this year, something on the offense has had to give, and I wasn't sure what it was. I think at the end of the day, Bill O'Brien, thank you for your service. Go coach somewhere else. You look at the defense – whether it's scheme, whether it's self-scout, whether it's simplification. There, there are about four or five things that could potentially solve this problem, Drew, for the next season. But I can tell you that any two or three of them probably get Alabama to that point where you get back to feeling like it's third and four and you're in Bryant-Denny Stadium and Alabama's defense has to make a play. And – Seven, eight, nine times out of ten, that Alabama defense is going to make that key play and Alabama is going to ride off into the sunset with a win. This team, this defense, hasn't really done that consistently. And, you know, you want to talk about evidence? Let's talk about evidence. Tennessee on the road. Um, did the offense do great getting towards the end of the game, setting up Will Reichard? Hell no. Well, all right, guys. Y'all, defense got to stand up. 
Bang, bang, bang. Tennessee kicks a field goal. Game over. Uh, the LSU game. The Alabama offense wakes up. The, ten- the Alabama defense goes to sleep. Loss. Thankfully, the Alabama offense was so awesome that the defense couldn't screw it up in the Iron Bowl. Even though if you give up 318 yards, you really, really try. Like, that's unacceptable. So, on defense, something's got to give. I don't know what it is. I think you could argue that get rid of Huts, get rid of Roach, and bring in elite position coaches, keep Golding. But I don't understand how you take a look at this group of players that you had and this group of coaches that you had and find the product that was put on the field is really that great. And this completely ignores the discipline problem that has plagued this damn team the whole year. But anyway, I don't want to be just killing the team. I don't want to be one of those guys. Uh, good news. Let's polish this. A&M's, law, A&M's beating LSU probably means that Alabama goes to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Alabama is going to be SEC 2. And why do I say that? Georgia's going to be one, SEC 1 going into the playoff. And suddenly you're comparing Alabama versus Tennessee. And it's not just, oh, well, Tennessee has the head-to-head, so Tennessee is a better team, or Tennessee is going to give a better game, or some other nonsense. It's, will Tennessee travel to the Sugar Bowl? Do they care? Do Alabama fans, which are closer to the Sugar Bowl, and frankly, bigger fan base, more ter- more draw, etc., will Alabama fill the Superdome? Should Alabama play, call it Kansas State, in the Sugar Bowl? Those are going to be the questions that now the Sugar Bowl has to answer because of LSU's loss. But, you know, let's, 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 I'll kick it back to you with this. Great offensive performance. Defense just underscored some of its issues. Even if Alabama doesn't make the playoff, which I'm not one of those that say they don't deserve to make it. I don't really care about that. It would take chaos. It would take probably two losses to get there. I think there are some things that Alabama fans can get excited about from coaching changes to players, you know, I, I don't think Bryce Young plays if it's the Sugar Bowl. Let's see what Milrow yeah. has with a month to prepare. Yeah, Let's see I mean, it. I, I, I like to see even Ty get some time as well, no sure. doubt about it. I mean, no doubt. And uh, But, William, I will say this. One thing that I did like, there was three guys that were featured a little bit more in this offense that I'm really excited about in the future. One of them has been, you know, a, a target of the fans, but he really stepped up yesterday, and that's Robbie Oots, uh, who did a really nice job as a receiver. And, of course, that's more of the self-scout and the tendencies because Auburn wasn't expecting Oots to be a target, and he did a great job moving the chains, playing with physicality. And then I really like uh, Kendrick Law the more I see of him. I think he's the next Ja'Cory Brooks. He's a dog that's going to be a consistent playmaker, physical guy. He may not have burner speed, but he competes hard, and he's a guy that will block as well and do the little things. And, of course, I like Bond. I think I think Bond is going to bring a big play element to this group, but I really enjoyed seeing those three guys be involved in the offense. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, you av- actually, um, when you bring up Oots, uh, Drew, you saw a little bit of uh, some creativity out of Bill O'Brien yesterday. You know, they – um, you know, ran a, a wide res- a wide receiver screen out of one look, and it was successful. I think they picked up a first down. It wasn't a huge gainer. 
And then if it wasn't the next play, it was two plays later. Um, and, and the look on the wide receiver screen is, you know, Oots ran out there and probably had to block because Cameron Law too can't. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, it was either the next play or two plays later. They did the same damn look and, uh, you know, ran Oots out there into the flat. He caught it and, you know, bulldozed his way down the field for some positive yardage. But, you know, I, I would say this and, and, you know, when when I got to Tuscaloosa in 1989, um, and, and you know I, I went back down the long and winding road, like not this past weekend, but the weekend before, and I can't remember what game Rick Newhouse was calling live for CBS, but he kept mentioning his former uh, offensive coordinator and quarterback coach Homer Smith. And, you know, this, this became was, a hot It was topic. Missouri, Arkansas, I believe, William, but go All right, ahead. There you go. There you go. Um, but, you know, that's the, the, the most dynamic football mind that in, you know, my football deal in college that I've ever came across. I mean, this guy, I'll never forget because, you know, I'm, I'm a lot better at it now than I was as an 18-year-old true freshman in 1989. But, I'll never forget, you know, in, in scrimmages at Bryant Denny as a true freshman, um, you know, Homer Smith would, uh, and, and you, you saw this play out throughout the 1989 season that led to a, a co-mingled SEC championship. And, you know, Alabama was in the national championship picture until Miami, um, you know, dispatched, uh, you know, won the game in the Sugar Bowl. But, a true playmaker and a guy that's, you know, got elite ability. And I, and I think it all boils down to, you know, you take the talent that you have on hand and you do something with it in a positive way. You know, my freshman year when I got to Alabama, um, you know, I mean, the offensive line and, you know, this isn't as big of a deal as it was back then, but the offensive line might've averaged 260 pounds. Um, you know, when, when, when what I'm fixing to describe to y'all happened, it was before Jeff Dunn blew his knee out. You know, yeah. Jeff Dunn was a, you know, a, 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 he wasn't a dual threat quarterback. He was probably closer to what I think Ty Simpson's going to be, or maybe yeah. what Bryce has been for the last couple of years. I mean, he was a, had a strong arm, but you know, if the pocket broke down, you know, he could run and, and pick up positive yardage. You know, he wasn't Cam Newton um, or Robbie Ashford, but, you know, the guy had running ability. He, you know, six foot four, you know, 225 pounds. But, you know, the thing that amazed me about Homer Smith was if I wasn't in on a play, I could sit there and look down the line of scrimmage. And, and typically I could, I could pick the, what was fixing to happen at the snap count based on what the offensive line looked in their, you know, stance. If they yeah. were light, it was going to be a pass. You know, if they had all their weight forward, it was going to be a run. But where Homer Smith was so good um, was, you know, he did exactly the opposite. And, and so, you know, to me, that's what I'm accustomed to as a play caller or as, you know, operating under a program with coordinators, you know, you, you take what you got and, you know, you throw it in a blender, you blend it up and it spits it out. 
and, and you you don't try and force feed the talent that you have into doing something that they're not capable of doing. Um, you know, I had a heated conversation with Coach Stallings during a game in 1990. You know, you know, he's like, "Hey, man, why's not toss 48 there?" I'm like, "Well, Coach, they got seven guys to the." to the wide side of the field. You can't block seven with five. Hey, man, we're Alabama. Make it work. I said, well, if you want to make that work, you better start recruiting Nebraska-style offensive linemen to make that happen. Um, you know, not 240-pound guys that, that, you know, can't make that happen. But th- that's been my biggest frustration, I guess, during the Bill O'Brien era of the Alabama offense the last two years you got one of the best quarterbacks in the history of Alabama football, you know, an average offensive line, you know, last year, you know, take, take Jamison Williams and John Mechie out of the situation. And all of a sudden you're kind of average, you know, at the skill positions, um, you know, a really good coordinator, it, it, you know, in that spot, you know, checks up, you know, I think Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, um, you know, th- they could take what you saw yesterday or starting back in September, you know, on September 1st with this Alabama team, and, and they could make that into a more explosive unit than what we saw this year and probably last year, even without, you know, Jameson Williams and John Mechie, um, that they could still make explosive plays, you know, if they had just, you know, focused on what you had on hand that they could do well. And, you know, that's there's a big reason why Alabama is, you know, I think Eric Wolford's done a, a good job. Um, he wasn't a miracle worker, and, and, you know, you can't be a miracle worker when you've got what you've got um, on that offensive line. Um, you know, the, the wide receivers were young this year. You know, you had the transfer Burton. But, you, you know, some other offensive coordinators, and I'm not, uh, you know, beating up Bill O'Brien. I appreciate what he's done for the university. But I think, it, it, you know, at the core, he tried to fit a round peg into a square hole with the talent that he had on hand. And he said, you know what, I'm not going to make any adjustments here. I'm going to run what I want to run because I've got Bryce Young to bail me out in a lot of, a lot of cases. He was able to do that, but I think if you had a more creative play caller um, last year and this year, you know, could have been different outcomes, not trying to force feed that offense into doing something, you know, that they weren't capable of doing. Yeah, no question about it. I I will say I, I thought it was, like I said at the beginning of the show, I thought it was one of Bill's better plans. I like some of the creativity. I like the RPO inside the 20 to Corey Brooks. And Bingo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. And uh, so they – I think, you know, he had four catches for 76. Burton had another strong game. They got him with a deep ball early. Uh, he had three for 87. So he's starting, as Thomas kind of mentioned as well, uh, to get comfortable. So I think the offense is expanding a little bit. I'm like you, William. You know, Latou's a, a decent player, but I'm not going to miss him. They can replace him. They can find somebody that can well, catch the ball, and they can find. And Nye Black will hopefully be a, a better version of him once he develops. No, Drew, you won't ever hear me dang Cameron Latou, especially how he started his, his uh, career off oh, on yeah. the defensive side of the football. 
Good you know, they moved him to offense. Yeah. He is a, you know, he's a solid pass catcher. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he can't block his way out of a wet paper bag. And, you know, that, that's, that's almost like putting an offensive lineman on the field and saying, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, henpeck Tyler Booker for a second because this isn't true about him. But, you know, if you put an offensive lineman out there on the field and his name's Tyler Booker and he can mow your ass over run blocking, but he's a liability at pass blocking. Well, you know, that, that, that doesn't cut it. I mean, you've got to be good at both to be a successful offensive lineman. And, you know, and, and going back to Cameron Latu for a minute, um, he, he's, a, he's a pretty solid to a, a, a above average pass receiver as a converted linebacker to tight end as a, as a pass catcher. But he's a liability, um, you know, as a run blocker. And, you know, I don't think you would – get Nick Saban to disagree. And um, I saw a couple of times yesterday where, you know, Cameron Latu just threw his hands up in the air and said, you know, hell, I screwed up. Um, but th- that's, that's been my only, unlike most Alabama fans, um, you haven't heard me bash Bill O'Brien all year long. And I'm not, you know, I, I thought yesterday was one of his better performances over the last two years, but where I will get a little critical is, 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 you know, not taking the talent that you had on hand and adjusting whatever your philosophy is and, and, and you know, making it work. That, that's your job as a coach is to take the talent you have. You know, you know Lane Kiffin, um, you know, they didn't win a national championship his first year with Blake Sims at quarterback, but they had a pretty dynamic offense. And, you know, Lane Kiffin took a converted slash DB running back. And, you know, Blake Sims was able to break passing records, you know, after six months of coaching, um, you know, from Lane Kiffin. You know, two years later, um, you know, Jalen Hurts under Lane Kiffin, um, you know, was an average passer. uh, But, you know, and with the help of, you know, one of the best college defenses I've ever seen, you know, they went to the national championship and lost to Clemson um, with what Lane was able to do with the true freshman quarterback, who who was the best quarterback that, you know, they had on hand on campus at that time, you know, after some bad evaluations, you know, with some other guys. So to me, I, I think that's what I would like to see, you know, if Nick Saban's going to do a reset, that, that's what I would like to see on both sides of the football. Um, you know, I, I'm in total agreement with you, Drew. I do think, you know, we saw Bill O'Brien's last performance as the offensive coordinator for Alabama in Bryant-Denny Stadium. And, and like you, maybe he gets the head job at Georgia Tech or, you know, maybe he coaches the bowl game and, you know, gets a job back in the NFL. But, you know, I think it works on both sides of the football. Um, you know, if, in fact, Nick Saban decides to keep Pete Golding, you know, as his defensive coordinator, he needs to look at things in the same light. You know, you know, I know Thomas, you know, you know, is, you know, talks about this all the time. You know, it'd be one thing if you had Sean Robinson and Jonathan Allen to run a damn two-man defensive front, but they don't have those guys right now. No, they do not, and uh, we understand how unsound it is, and I think it's part of the frustration, and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, Nick Saban's going to rectify it. You know, I was just sent a message about uh, something Nick Saban said after the game, and he was talking about 
Uh, Auburn's offense brought him back to his pop Warner days. And, uh, you know, they're overloading one side. They're running almost single wing type stuff. But, you know, uh, a, a good friend of ours in the media even said, you know, well, Nick Saban may have been, it seemed like almost Nick Saban was saying, you know, my, we uh, it was taking me back to my Pop Warner days. I hadn't seen some of those kind of single wing plays since I played and I was 10 years old. And then uh, a good friend of ours in the media said today on his message board, well, he may have also been thinking, you know, good Lord, my, my defense can't even stop Pop Warner plays. So, you know, I, I don't think he likes the coaching staff. I do think changes are coming. Um, you know, I was hearing last night, both coordinators likely moving on. And Pete, you know, is uh, I, I, there's a, there's an opening at Texas State, Jake Spavitol. Got fired after four years. He has ties to the Lone Star State and Louisiana. It'd probably be a good fit for him. And then when you think about Bill O'Brien, he's going to get opportunities. I think they he had agreed to stay two years. He did a solid job. I mean, I'm not going to criticize him too much. I'm like William. I mean, there's been some times I got frustrated. But yeah, I think he did a pretty good job. I mean, I just think overall defensively, they've got to get their toughness back and their physicality. I don't think they play with enough of it. Uh, you know, and they don't force enough turnovers. So hopefully, uh, you know, I think the talent is there. I know Williams' former teammate Jeremy Pruitt thinks it's there as well. I'd love to see Jeremy come back. We'll see. I'll just say this. If you freeze is the next coach at Auburn by the time you know we have our next show, then if I'm Nick Saban, I don't give a damn what Sankey says. I'm going to get Bo. I'm going to get, you know, Jeremy, and I'm, and I'm putting Sal back on the field, and I'm trusting my, my guys that have come through for me before. Uh, to put this defense back together. And then you just go get a creative offensive coordinator. I like Wolford. I sure, like, let, me, I let, me, think... let me jump in real quick yeah, go uh, ahead. on the defensive staff. And I want to be very, very clear. A lot of our criticism here gets taken to the extreme. And it shouldn't be. I'm not advocating for fire everyone, reset everything. You know, I've, I've been critical of defensive scheme. I've been critical of, the Bill, of Bill O'Brien's scheme and his ability to put players in positions to succeed, etc. I'm saying that the thing still works, but I personally believe the thing could work better with small tweaks. You know, the dynasty isn't dead. All that crap is just crap. It's just, you know, this part of it is not working and it could be better and this is what I would like to see. It really drives me crazy when it, the fans go from zero to hero. Hey, yeah. Pete Golding is struggling. Well, fire the entire defensive staff. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, that is not what we're saying on BAM's radio. And I just want to make that very, very clear because – I've been accused of being hyperbolic on multiple occasions and I want to be very, you know, I want to defend myself from the slings and arrows, but anyway, go ahead, Drew. I'm sorry. Well, no, no, no. I, you know, I, I don't mind bringing back Charles Kelly and T Rob. They've been getting players. Uh, I still think the secondary will play better. If the front plays better, uh, the front seven's got to improve. There's no doubt about that. That's going to be the big key. And now you've got the bowl game coming up. Uh, it looks like, you know, as of last night, the Orange Bowl wanted Alabama with Clemson and, and, and the Tide to, to take on each other. But with LSU choking, uh, it looks like uh, the Sugar Bowl would be a very real possibility over Tennessee. Tennessee could play Clemson. So we'll see. I don't, you know, the playoff isn't totally out of the question, but, you know, a lot's going to have to happen. That You know, USC would have to lose uh, to Utah for a second time. And then, 
they'd have to be voted ahead of Ohio State. Personally, I would vote Alabama ahead of a one-loss Ohio State because I think Ohio State is a fraud and they got blown out at home. Uh, they didn't get beat. They got beat down. And anybody that tries to tell me once again that C.J. Stroud's better than Bryce, I'm going to slap you upside your head and tell you to get a lobotomy. He's just not better. He he never was. Ryan Day's a fraud. He's a he's a great offensive mind. He's not a great head coach. He's never going to win a championship at Ohio State, in my opinion, because Khaki Pants, who William knows very well, Khaki Pants has handed him his ass two years in a row. And everybody was ready to run Khaki Pants off. And now Michigan's starting to to get the upper hand in that series. So I, I'll just say this. In two in another two years, I think Ohio State will have another Luke Fickle should have been the football coach at Ohio State. He'll probably start beating Ohio State's ass himself at Wisconsin. So just get ready for that, Suckeye fans. So I'm just telling well, you. Go ahead, well, Drew, I, I just thought about a, a really good analogy for, you know, what you, you, me, and Thomas have been talking about, especially on the offensive side of the football. And I, and I think when I describe this, it, it will, you know, hit all three of our points home. Um, you know, when it comes to an offensive coordinator or a play caller um, that utilizes the, the weapons that he has at, at, at their disposal. Um, rewind back to the third Saturday in October in 2014 when Alabama was playing Tennessee and Knoxville. Because I can remember it like it was yesterday. I can remember seeing Alabama line up, and, and this was kind of the thing that rejuvenated uh, Lane Kiffin's career, um, you know, based on him giving the damn, uh, uh, you know, touchdown signal before the the play the pass was even thrown. And I, I can remember watching the game, and I'm like, wait a second, who in the hell is that lined up at tailback? The ball snapped. And all of a sudden, it hits me. I'm like, that's Amari Cooper at tailback. <laughs> the ball the ball is snapped. Amari Cooper releases on a wheel route. Lane Kiffin throws his play sheet up in the air, gives you the touchdown signal, and runs down the length of the field. And one Blake Sims throws a wheel route to Amari Cooper on the first play of the game. Sorry, now, sir. do I think – Drew, let, so uh, William, I'm like, sorry. Let me let me jump in. I was oh. covering Alabama for that game, and it was like a hundred thousand Tennessee fans screamed out in terror, and then were silenced. I will put it to you that way. But go <laughs> ahead. Well, well, but no, Thomas. I mean, the, the the reason why it was like so shocking to me was a that was long before I was aware of you know Lane you know Kiffin's prowess as a play caller. Um, you know, I was a little bit hesitant. That that was back before. You know, once, you know, Nick Saban started his uh, coaching rehab clinic, which I guess somebody should have made, a, you know, $100 million off of this deal with it. Um, but, but I was like, you know, first of all, because I always tend to focus on the line of scrimmage when a play's called. But because this was the first play of the game in the broadcast, I was like, wait a second. That's not one of our starting tailbacks at tailback. Who is that? And, you know, I, I couldn't see the, the helmet because um, when you watch broadcast from Neyland Stadium, it's so high up, yeah. you know, the focus, the focus of the camera runs out. And when the ball was snapped and I saw who it was, I'm like, that's Amari Cooper at tailback. And then when I saw the route that he was running, 
Um, and I was like, oh, you know, Blake Sims, a quarterback, you know, this is a bad idea. And it was executed perfectly. And, I, you know, that play, right, it probably started against Florida, I think, in game two. But this was the one that sealed it for me as far as how creative a play caller that Wayne Kiffin was. Hell, he threw his play sheet up in the air, gave you the touchdown signal, and almost outran Amari Cooper to the goal line. You know, that's creative offensive play calling. And that that's that's a guy that got, you know, fired from multiple jobs that came into Alabama. You know, I'll never forget when, when you know, Nick Saban brought Lane Kiffin into, you know, that, that December period. And he said, I want you to, you know, get our offense up to what's going on in college football. And, you know, Lane Kiffin looks at Nick Saban and he says, Coach, I'm a pro-style guy. I don't know how to do that. And Nick Saban looked at him and he said, well, make it happen. And he said, well, Coach, I, I mean, I don't know how to do it. I've got no experience doing it. But I'll pick up the phone and make some calls and figure it out. And he did. No different than when Steve Sarkeesian took over. I mean, you know, he, he did some things differently when, when he was the head coach at Washington. But, you know, Steve Sarkeesian was a pro-style guy. But, you know, those are two prime examples of people that had really no experience in that genre and, and were able to make that move and be successful with it. And, and you know, I go back to – Lane Kiffin more so than Sark because he was a little bit more experienced and, and you know, had done some other things. But, you know, when, when, when Nick Saban brought Lane Kiffin in December 10th, whenever it was in 2013, after, um, you know, that, that kick six game against Auburn, and he said, I want you to transform my offense. And, you know, Lane Kiffin looked at him and he said, Coach, I don't, I don't know how to do it. But I'll pick up the phone and figure it out. And and you know what? You go back to that 2014 season, they went fast. They went no huddle. Um, you know, you know, and, and you had Blake Sims that was a converted running back in DB who really had not made an impact on Alabama's two-deep roster since he had been there, and he sets records. That's the kind of guy that I want to see if Nick Saban's going to hit a reset. And I don't yeah. know who the next guy's going to be offensively. I mean, I have been told that, you know, Nick Saban's already got his guy picked out. We'll see if he makes it happen. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I want to see going forward if, if Nick's going to do another reset. Um, you know, bring somebody in there. And if they look you in the eye and they say, hell, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call somebody else. And, you know, I know who Lane called. I mean, it was to, you know, Baylor. It was to TCU, you know, right on down the line. He, you know, he had one guy that he called about being um, hurry up, no huddle. He had another guy that he called that was about a dual threat quarterback. And, you know, they made it work and they made it work magically. So, so let me. Yeah, they did. Drew, I'm sorry. I, ahead, I, have, I have to comment. So, so what William is really saying needs to be heard and understood. Then, and it's it's the the difference between somebody who will get to the top of the mountain 
in somebody who will glimpse it and never get there. And frankly, I think Bill O'Brien's part of the second category in many cases. Yeah, I understand he had Tom Brady, and Tom Brady covers a multitude of evils. But... And he had Deshaun Watson, Thomas, let's be honest. Well, th- yeah, that's true. And, and, and again, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to break – I'm not trying to just kill Bill O'Brien or kill P- Pete Golding. The, 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 the reality is that in any hyper-competitive marketplace, whether it's where I exist professionally in multi-billion dollar industries in the cloud – or college football, which is a multi-billion-dollar industry, or the combination of NFL and college. What you know and what you are comfortable with is not enough to have consistent success. You need to keep your head down and have a plan. And after the plan goes slightly sideways, left, right, or center, you need to say, my plan didn't work because of X. It's not because the players didn't execute or we didn't have the elite defensive tackle or we didn't have the elite left tackle or whatever. It's because you screwed up. And what do we need to do to fix that? Who do I need to call? Who do I need to ask for me? What technology do I need to learn to make it better? And I 100% agree with William because you're actually talking about my professional career and college football. When I look at what should be a new offensive coordinator hire, when I look at what should be some defensive staff changes, I want to see somebody that is not just running, you know, uh, 31 personnel out there 89.5% of the time on offense and making it work. I want to see somebody that's throwing that's throwing different per- personnel groupings all the time that you're that you're rotating, or if you think you've got a bad personnel grouping, you're running 31 personnel all game. I need to be able to see that on a game flow standard. If on defense, I don't need you to run a one four five when you got a running quarterback and you need to clog up the middle. I need you to run a traditional three three five nickel. I need you to do that. Is your personnel work it? Okay, maybe not. But, you know, massage it a little bit. That's what I want to see from Alabama because that's what you see. And it's not just in football. It's in everything. It's, you know, Coach, I don't know how to do that. But because you have to respond to your boss, and if you don't respond in a positive way, you're going to walk into my office freaking throw crap all over mine, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out to keep the crap-throwing quotient low. That's the kind of person that can be successful in the elite of the elite. And if if you want to distill my criticism of Bill O'Brien to one thing, it's that I don't think he's able to do that. I think he's egomaniacal enough to think that what he does works no matter what. And that is not good enough at the top 1% of anything to get to the top of the mountain. That's it. Thank you so much, William. Go ahead, Drew. Well, no, I'm no. Say Drew, before, hang on a second, Drew, before you go. Yeah. I want to wrap up Thomas's diatribe with this. Sure. Because it, it, it's perfect. 
it's perfect, Thomas, with what I saw the last two weeks in college football. There's a guy that was not on my radar just two weeks ago as far as somebody that maybe I might consider as a good candidate to take over when Nick Saban decides to retire. And it's all of the stuff that you talked about. I'm not going to rewind it and, and try and figure it out because you're the brainiac, not me. But if Shane Beamer can replicate the last two games of the 2022 season two or three more times, that guy is not going to be in Columbia, South Carolina for very long. Well, and that's a great point, William. And I, I've really admired how he's done things. I mean, I, I think he's done a remarkable job. It's been a really weird season for him, but the way they finished drilling t- Tennessee and then beating Clemson, he's done a remarkable job in his two years considering what he took over, which was the whale shit of the end of the Will Muschamp era. And, you know, and I'll say this too. I got into a Twitter debate about this, about Ty Simpson. A lot of people talking about quarterback for next year. I would stick with Ty. I think he has a lot of potential. Uh, you know, the, the guy I was debating with, uh, you know, he was basically uh, saying that Ty was nowhere near ready. I think he's basically because uh, basing it on because he's been behind Milrow, which in practice, I'm not sure that's the case. Uh, you know, I know he's got increased reps. And all I'll say is, like I told him, uh, did Jake Coker and Blake Sims, and you just talked about Blake, William, did they have a lot of experience before they started for a full year? No. Um, you know, and then he talked about, well, you know, those guys aren't true, uh, you know, true sophomores like uh, Ty Simpson. But Tua Tungvalu was a true sophomore. So was uh, Bryce Young when they first started. I mean, you know, it, it's about talent and surrounding the quarterback. And as William says, the coaching of the OC, it's not about your experience level. I mean, Drake May wasn't experienced until this year. He redshirted. So I still think Ty's got a lot of potential and I'm looking forward to seeing him and Milrow compete, and maybe that'll even be for the bowl game. We don't know. Uh, that's gonna be hang, on, hang on a second, Drew. Yeah. Hang on a second, Drew. I'm not going to ask you for names. I mean, I think I know who you're talking about, but right. Um, you, you had somebody get in your face, or, or you know, in your social media space about uh, Ty Simpson. Yeah, and, and where he factors into the quarterback race for next year? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. I'll tell you this: I watched him last December on the practice field in Tuscaloosa, and if there's anybody out there in Bam's Radio Land that wants to debate me on who the starting quarterback is going to be, uh. Maybe not game one. You know, it depends on how much, you know, chess versus checkers that Nick wants to play. But if there's anybody out there that wants to debate me on who the starting quarterback is going to be October 1st of 2023, put your money on the line. It's going to be Ty Simpson. And he won't throw for less than 77 yards in an iron bowl next year like drew ashford did 
he's going to be the starter. He will well, blow past Jalen Milrow, maybe not as quick as Bryce Young blew past uh, Paul Tyson, but it's going to be pretty quick. The guy's a winner. His dad's a college quarterback at a, you know, D2 level or whatever you want to say. But the guy is uber talented. Um, you know, he's not a true dual threat guy, but I can promise you this right now. That's who your starter, permanent starter is going to be for 2023. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Well, and, and he, he brought up that he thought that, the tie was more Mac, but like I told him, I said I love Mac, but I said he's 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 more athletic, he's more Aaron Rodgers with his athleticism, and you're going to see that. I, I want to see the kid compete. I agree with you, William. I think he's going to be an elite player, and he's an elite talent. And I want to see this new offense. I think Saban wants to get back to what we've seen the last two and a half games, which is physicality at the line of scrimmage, and then the quarterback, you know, being the compliment and being the the difference maker there. Uh, you know, in the 30 plus pass attempts per game, you know, and hopefully be a, being an efficient. And I think it's still going to be a fun offense to watch and a lot of great skill players. So I'm looking forward to seeing that, no doubt about it. And looking forward to the bowl game as well. And, you know, and, and again, recruiting is going to be huge this last month. And, you know, we're going to definitely be uh, back with you on BAMS radio when it warrants to talk about recruiting and preview the bowl game as well. Uh, you know, it's going to be a, a very interesting uh, next few weeks in recruiting uh, because of NIL, because of trying to close out this class. Alabama's still at 23 commitments. They had a lot of talent on campus yesterday. Had a good friend of mine uh, that uh, we all know. He he and his family ran across Keon Keeley. They were having a great time. So it looked like they were buying out the NIL shop with all the Bama gear. Uh, and then, of course, he saw James Smith. He saw Ryan Williams. So there was a lot of and Quay Russo was there. There was a lot of talent on campus. There's no doubt about that. So very excited, uh, you know, about uh, the, the future. And we're going to monitor recruiting down the stretch. And and, uh, and also we're going to monitor basketball. Alabama's underway about four minutes in. Unfortunately, Noah Clowney is down with uh, looks like an injury. Uh, he went down hard for Alabama. Hopefully it's not severe, but it's t- he took something to like maybe is it almost like it looks like uh, with the way he landed, he, he went hard to the rim and then tried to dunk. It looked like he got fouled, but of course he did. It wasn't caught. It looked like he landed on his tailbone. So we'll see what happens. Those are, those can smart. No doubt about it. Hopefully the young man's going to be okay. But Alabama got a big win earlier this week on Thanksgiving against Michigan state. They did drop a game on Friday to UConn and that's really tough, but hopefully they're, they're up four to two early on North Carolina and Clowney will be okay. Noah Clowney, uh, you know, uh, down, the, you know, uh, going forward. But we'll have some uh, more basketball discussion as well as Alabama's going to have a game with South Dakota State coming up uh, on uh, this coming uh, a week, about a week from today on, on uh, well, a week from yesterday on Saturday. I'll hopefully be able to attend that game. We will see. But certainly we're going to have more BAMS radio conversation. We Really are excited about the uh, the win over the uh, Auburn Tigers, the third row in the Iron Bowl. We've had a lot of spirited discussion today about what we saw, saw you know, last night, what we uh, are anticipating for the future. And I'm sure as the coaching changes occur in this next month, that'll be another topic for our next BAMS radio. We want to thank everybody uh, for listening to us and continuing to support us. And we will be back soon. Uh, we don't want to have anything definitive yet just because, 
uh, no bowl game destination has been, uh, you know, discussed or, or announced. We'll know that in another week. And then, of course, with recruiting. But we certainly will uh, just be uh, looking uh, on social media and on our Twitter account for our next episode. Uh, but, again, we thank everybody for, uh, you know, uh, supporting us. And, been, uh, you know, and uh, it was a good year for Alabama. But with the expectations for this team, it's a little disappointing to be 10-2 and two and, and uh, probably on the outside of the college football playoff race. But you never know. We'll, we'll be monitoring that going forward and seeing what happens in the next week after championship Saturday next week. Uh, that could, uh, if Alabama has everything go their way, that could open up another door. So, again, we're going to be monitoring that closely. But another great win for Alabama in the Iron Bowl, 49-27. to And uh, we appreciate everybody for joining us. For Thomas the Wizard Watts in Mobile and for William Redfish Barger, good night, everybody, and uh, roll tide.